Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us today on the CCA California podcast. My name is Chris, your host. Good to be with you today. Uh, today, we do have a very special guest, Greg Garfinkel from Calico Conservation. Really looking forward to getting our conversation going with him. But first, make sure to visit our website, ccacalifornia.org. Make sure you become a member of CCA at joincca.org. And also, don't forget about our social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. We're on all three. And uh, make sure you check us out. And while you're at it, make sure to leave a nice review on wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. And it goes without being said, we really do appreciate all the support that has been shown to us, not only on the podcast, but also in the last seven years since we've existed in California. But without further ado, Greg, what's going on, man? Good to see you. It's uh, it's good to be here. It's good to see you. And uh, thank you for your uh, patience while I work out my technical difficulties. <laughs> hey, we all have them. We all have them, especially with this pandemic technology Zoom deal. So it's all good, man. You, you would but, think that after everything, I'm an attorney as well when I'm not doing what I really want to do. Uh, I hope my boss doesn't hear that. But um <laughs> You know, I've been, everything is remote. I haven't stepped foot in a courtroom in over two years, two and a half years. So you would think I'd have the technical aspect down, but that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you could say that for a lot of, a lot of people nowadays, but um, anyways, Hey, it's been a couple, I think it's been actually about a year and a half or so since we last talked. What, uh, what's been going on in your world, man? What's, uh, what's going on? What's the latest? Uh, just on all fronts, uh, I guess the most important one is fishing. I've been getting out, uh, locally and, and trying to, I'm a new boat owner. So that means that I'm, uh, uh, still, uh, learning my chops on where to fish, where not to fish, how close to be to sporties and, and all that stuff too. Um, so it's been, it's been slow for me, but a definite learning curve. Uh, and, uh, we've been doing pretty well. We've been fishing up uh, north of the Santa Monica pier and catching a lot of sandies, uh, some calicos, uh, the occasional mantis shrimp, and uh, one of my new favorite fish, the triggerfish. So I didn't didn't even know that they were in the bay until I thought I had a white sea bass on and I came up with this kind of funny looking character. So they're a lot of fun. (laughs) Nice. Aren't those surprises the best? uh, The best? Well, sometimes it would have been a better surprise if it was a white sea bass and not a triggerfish, but you know, what, what can you do? I know I can't, I, I honestly cannot uh, remember how many times it's been, you know, when I was fishing up in the channel islands in my, uh, I guess, young life, you know, I would get hooked on, um, to bat rays all mm-hmm. the time. And you think it'd be a sea bass or a yellowtail and chasing you around and, and all that stuff. And then it's just a bat ray. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah, the uh, the boys and I went up to Alaska for the first time, I guess it was two years ago, and, you know, obviously we're up there targeting halibut, and I was on a fish for, I don't know, 30 minutes, and the captain's getting the harpoon ready and the gun ready and all kinds of stuff, and I came up, and it was the biggest skate that I've ever seen, and uh, so that was, <laughs> wow. I fly all the way up there, and I catch this giant skate, and the problem is, is that uh, it happened to me again, so the captain said, Hey, at least now you got a pair of skates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. I like that. 
Well, awesome, man. Well, uh, let's gonna get back into your background here. Um, I know, you know, we're, we're going to talk about calico conservation in a little bit, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. How'd you get uh, get going on the fishing? And and I know you're an attorney and all that stuff. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I've been a uh, San Fernando Valley resident uh, for since 1965. Only went away for uh, for three years for law school. Caught my first fish at Sportsman's Lodge down on Ventura Boulevard, which I guess now is a uh, a high end shopping mall. I haven't been back there. <laughs> and uh, my dad got me on the water at the age of four, and uh, I've been in in love with it ever since. I had to take a break when I went to law school inland, uh, but I fish as much as I can, as much as my schedule allows. And uh, the early part of my life, like you. Uh, was spent up fishing off of uh, you know at Cisco's and and uh, you know Port Wyneme when they had the sport fishing landing there. So cut my chops with Joe on the gentleman, uh, probably the saltiest character I've ever met in my life. But uh, just nothing but good times and and um, you know I'm sharing that love with my boys now. I have a 17 year old and a 20 year old, and uh, so we fished uh, both since they were I don't know two or three years old. Uh, up out of Ventura, we used to go a lot on the island spirit, and uh, then we made the uh, the plunge to boat ownership, and we get out there, uh, you know, uh, up until the winter, we're we're getting out there about two times a week, either fishing the break wall in Rena del Rey or being a little bit more adventurous and and trying to find something a little bit further out. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing for me for fishing is I've as I've grown up is it's become a lot less about catching fish and it's been more about you know the drives down talking to my boys um just being out there and and the conversations uh that we've had and and uh, i think that kind of goes part and parcel i don't want to jump ahead and in, into the reason behind calico conservation but uh, i really realized that uh you know the, the fish and fishing is more like the icing on the cake uh than, than the whole experience so uh, growing up, you know, I had a tough dad from South Philadelphia, uh, was one person on the land. And when we get out of the fishing boat, he turned into a completely different human being. And uh, that's where our relationship really grew. Um, it's, it's just the conversations and the memories of going to uh, Loretto. We went 16 years in a row and uh, fishing the East Cape and um, never got to Alaska with my dad. That was a bucket list item that we didn't uh, that we didn't meet, but I've been doing that about now with my uh, boys. We've gone once, and then we're scheduled to go up to uh, Captain Steve's up in Ninilchuk uh, at the end of July. So trying to make uh, new memories, but similar memories with with my boys. So fishing for you with your family, it's super, I mean, it's generational. I mean, it first started with you and your pops, and now you're passing it along to the next generation. That That's a really cool story. Yeah, and... and uh, yeah, and that's why you know that's stresses the importance of maintaining the you know the fishery and being stewards of the of the fishery because it's uh, you know I want that for their grandkids. I want them to pull on a five pound calico bass or uh, you know a white sea bass, which was not even in existence. I didn't even know they existed when I was growing up because they weren't catching them up at the Channel Islands from you know nineteen say seventy eight until till you know relatively recently. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it, it is, and it even goes back further than that. You know, my I, my dad was sharing stories about his dad um, walking down to the Ocean Park Pier 
which no longer exists in Santa Monica and catching 15 pound halibut. And I thought it was all BS and, and you know, folk, folklore until uh, we went out and started catching bluefin tuna on, on the anchor on the east end of Catalina. Nobody would believe that. So I guess there's some, some a little, little truth to that. Oh my gosh. I could only imagine how that would go over nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. But like I said, that the, uh, the fishing is, is, uh, is the whole experience from getting ready to, uh, to cleaning up, you know, and if you catch fish, great. If not, you still got something to, to remember. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, um, with your early childhood now passing it along to your sons. And I know that's kind of spurred in this big project of Calico conservation. Um, I mean, let, let's get into it. Um, I know we had first met a couple of years ago, this brand new brand or not brand new, but it was kind of revitalized from the past. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was just poking around on Facebook. Um, I've always practiced conservation uh, since my days back on the sharpshooter at Redondo, you know, Redondo Beach made, you know, moment of silence for that great boat. Um, but I've always practiced it, but I didn't know that there was a group out there that was, uh, at least back in those days, dedicated to kind of just spreading the word, you know, and spreading the word without casting judgment. Um, so, uh, I was just poking around and I was, I, I was intrigued by the artwork. Actually, I saw somebody posted an old, uh, calico conservation sticker that was like loosely, you know, based on the one that I'm showing you right now. And so I, I tried to find out if somebody had the original artwork. Uh, I was unsuccessful in finding out where the original artwork was, uh, but kind of created an, a new one and just kind of, I slapped this thing on wherever I go, wherever I fish, I'm wearing a calico conservation sweatshirt right now and just getting the conversation going. Uh, you know, it, it, catch and release fishing sometimes on Facebook looks more like a political, you know, the, the, the divide with the political uh, situation in the United States. And, and I'm not trying to cast judgment on anybody that chooses to keep their fish. That's their legal right. And, uh, you know, as long as they're eating them and not taking them home, taking pictures and throwing them away, more, more power to them. But the whole reason for calico conservation is just to kind of educate the the public the fishing public too uh about the importance of preserving this very slow growing species and this this species that is vital uh not only to the sport fishing industry but to the entire uh economic um situation in california yeah and you know i think i i know we've talked about it here in the podcast multiple times but i want to say Nowadays, when you look at the Groms or the shore pounders, or even, you know, <laughs> I say kids, but people my age and even beyond, there's a lot more, I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot more respect for the calico bass in terms of, slow, you know, the phrase slow to gross to let them go. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, there, like you said, there's nothing wrong with keeping onto them and harvesting them and all that stuff. But I think there's more of a conscious effort nowadays um, because of brands like yours, you know, to, to really kind of, I don't want to say, you know, praise the bass, but it, it's almost like, you know, there's a lot more respect for the species because of just, I guess, genetics and, and how slow they actually do grow. Yeah. And uh, like you said, I, I, I'm, my boys are to the point now where uh, if God forbid, you know, we, we deep hooked one and it didn't survive, they feel guilty about it. I'm like, Hey, it happens. We're doing the right thing. And every once in a while, you know, something, something, uh, 
happens where we can't release them. So I just, I love that. You know, we fish a lot of spotties in the marina where my boat is, which is Marina Del Rey. I don't want to publicize it too much because I don't know that <laughs> that many people know about the good spotty fishing there. Um, but, you know, everything we catch, even sand bass, we're, we're releasing. You know, we've got enough fish in our freezer from our last Alaska trip to last us another year. Uh, we don't need to bring home those, uh, uh, you know, those, those bass species, you know. throw. There's one gentleman that I see on Facebook who fishes locally, and he always keeps his fish live. He fishes out of Marina Del Rey. I don't know if you want me to use his name. Um, I've never met him. Uh, his name is Marcus Fain, and he's he's uh, always bringing his bass back, and he releases them right uh, at the dock where where the uh, where the Spitfire docks. And I just think that's that's awesome. And I sent him I sent him a shirt and a sticker just to say, hey, keep it up. And I'm willing to do that with anybody, not the shirt because that's that's coming out of my own pocket. But uh, you know, send me a video. Um, and I'll send you a sticker just so you can kind of spread the word and make sure that, uh, that these fish are, are, are around for, for, for many, many years to come. Yeah. And since you brought that up, you know, calico conservation, it's, it's a mentality and also a, a movement, but also it's a, it's a clothing brand. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Um, you know, we, we don't sell too much stuff, but every, everything that we sell, whether it be a sticker or a t-shirt or a, uh, uh, um, what else am I doing? Stickers, sweatshirts, tank tops, all that kind of stuff. We donate, uh, we donate to you. Uh, we donate to CCA California and, uh, you know, we've, we've probably donated around $400 over the last year and a half, something along those lines, but, uh, I'm not doing it, uh, to, you know, to become the next, uh, you know, Nike apparel place. I'm just kind of doing it to both, um, you know, support a worthwhile organization and just kind of get the conversation going. And also, every time I wear these sweatshirts, people come up to me and ask, you know, what what's that about? You know, because there's not a lot of clothing out there with calico bass on it. Um, and uh, so I kind of, uh, you know, pull, pull out my pulpit, stand upon it and and preach the glory of uh, releasing the uh, our favorite checkerboards. Nice, nice. And there's also, you know, two two big supporters um, behind, you know, both CCA and Calico Conservation, and that's Val and Tom Hanzus. I know. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I was going to mention Valerie by name because uh, she probably is the. Uh, I, I see her the most frequently uh, wearing some some Calico Bass garb. I think she's even shot me pictures of wearing sweatshirts in in the snow. Uh, which, which, oh, I gotta, wow. <laughs> which I got, which I got to get a big kick out of too. But I mean, they're they're well made stuff, and the uh, the vendor that I work with is is uh, you know sympathetic to my plight, so he gives me a good deal so that I can pass along to you folks. But uh, I think I own about thirty five shirts, and the rest of the world owns the other you know twenty. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing it. You know, I'm not doing it to to make money. If somebody wants to buy, it, great. Yeah, and if uh, uh, if there's anything else I could do to, to, to promote it, that'd be fantastic. And how do we buy it? I, uh, you know, I've got the, fa I've got a Facebook page, uh, and I also has a web, a web page. I believe it's www.calicoconservation.com. And there's also a Calico Conservation, uh, website, not website, I'm sorry, Facebook page too. So just hit me up there and send me your size and what you want and the colors that I have. And I'll probably get that thing going a little bit um, more actively after our, our conversation with hopes that uh, people will be drawn there. Um, and I, you know, ship them right or, you know, as quickly as I can and, and uh, hopefully you get good use out of them. 
Yeah. And there's also a, um, if I'm not mistaken, there's also uh, a Facebook group there, you know, I know we've shared a couple of posts on it and all that, but I've also seen people submit their photos, not only with their Calico conservation gear, but just, you know, really, really great bass photos, which is awesome. It's like you're creating a, uh, like a little community within the brand too. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, send me video, you know, if you, if you want a sticker, send me video of a, of a bass being released. I don't care if it's, you know, don't go to the green pier in Catalina and, and send me, uh, you know, 900 pictures <laughs> of them being released, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, you know, send out the stickers for anybody that does submits a, a picture of a bass being released or a test that it would was released, you know, something along those lines. But, uh, you know, I just want this to be fun and, and informative and, and, uh, educational. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's, um, you know, also for those of you who have followed us for a while, um, me and I know Greg, you know, Matt Florentino, absolutely uh, good friend of mine, good friend of yours. Um, we actually ended up starting the coastal social bass tournament series last year, um, that benefits CCA and all that. And, you know, really, I think we've told you, but if it, just in case we haven't really your movement in Calico conservation was the, um, was really the brainchild of that whole tournament series where it's promoting conservation, it's promoting catch and release bass and, and all that stuff. And, you know, it, it's a pretty good series. Yeah. I'd like to get now that I have uh, my boat, assuming that I can find my way down there. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm still learning on how to use the trailer. I think I've used my trailer once in the year that I'm on the boat. So it's a little bit intimidating for, for me, but uh, Valerie's invited me and, and, and uh, Matt Florentino and AFCO have been extremely supportive uh, both from an informational standpoint and, and um, Seth over there has been, been very helpful with information on uh, the more scientific aspects of the calico bass fishery and I'm very much uh, appreciated. So I wear, you know, if I'm not wearing calico conservation gear, I've got my uh, my reaper on or, or something from the good folks at AFCO who have been, you know, they, they get it. They get it. You, and you can tell that the company's run by true fishermen. Uh, versus other companies that I, I don't get that same vibe. They make so so much great stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, if you don't have a reaper in your wardrobe, then you're missing out. I mean, I'm going to wear it skiing this weekend. Uh, it's just the the best, and I've got my whole family is wearing them too. So we look like a walking, you know, North North Valley <laughs> advertisement for for uh, for Afco. So you know, thank thanks to them. Absolutely, and uh, for those of you who don't know. Um, our coastal social tournaments for 2022, April 30th and September 17th. Um, April 30th is going to be up in Long Beach. That's the northern event. And then September 17th, it's going to be the southern event out of San Diego. So definitely hope to see you there. Greg, hope to see you there too. Hopefully uh, we can get together there. That, that would be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Well, speaking of your boat, what kind of boat do you have? I have a Parker uh, Center Council 23 foot uh 2300 series with a uh uh four stroke 150 i uh, just bought it um in march of last year and uh it's the best money that i've ever spent in my life you know i i feel like we got our money's worth out of it the first two months that we owned it and and that's even your whole your whole perspective changes you know before if you go out on a party boat and you're fishing rockfish and you don't come back with five reds you're you're disappointed whereas if we go out on our own and we come back with a total of five reds for the for the three of us, we're ecstatic, you know. And it's it's just all a matter of of uh, expectations and just kind of 
learning, you know, it's just such a huge learning curve, you know, just on how to read uh, the fish finder, the sonar and, and, and all those things too. So um, the, the biggest challenge for me was just making sure I felt safe before I, you know, took the boys out there in fog. Um, so, and uh, it's just a great, great boat. Great boat. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So here's a question for you. When it comes to, you know, the difference between owning your own boat and actually doing literally all of the work as opposed to going on a sport boat, nothing against the sport boats or anything like that. I love sport boat fishing um, all the time, but you're kind of right where, you know, when you're doing it yourself, literally doing it yourself, finding your own spots, um, you know, responsible for everything and everyone on the boat, it's a little more uh, gratifying, um, you know, in my opinion. A absolutely. And, uh, you know, me and my two boys, we each have a distinct responsibility on the boat. And mine is the, to captain the boat and get us to the spot. Uh, my youngest son, brand new 17, could be a deckhand on any sport in, in, on this coast. He's fantastic. So he's my deckhand. And then my older boy, uh, Ben, who's also studying marine biology at UCSD, um, or I believe Seth went from AFCO, I, if I'm not mistaken, but um, he, he, is, uh, he, he looks at the charts and says, hey, this, this looks good. There's a convergence of two different types of bottoms with a, with a drop off. Let's go check this out. So it's really kind of a well-oiled machine and, um, you know, working together, uh, it, it's just so gratifying, you know, I mean, our best, our best day out there on, on the boat was probably a total of 12 fish. For the uh, for the three of us, this is for rockfish, um, and we came back and we it's it was better than catching bluefin tuna at Catalina. I mean, it was just fantastic. So and um, yeah, I, I think that answers your question. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but just yeah. you you own it, you know, you you own it, yeah. and you're not uh, uh, you're able to fish spots that the sporties aren't. You know, if you come across one high spot, drift it versus the you know I might have five fish on it where it doesn't make sense for a sporty to stop on that because they're going to have five happy fishermen and 40 unhappy ones. Oh yeah. Well, do you find yourself bass fishing more often as opposed to rock fishing or vice versa? Uh, well, we, um, more bass fishing. Uh, we do rock fish to kind of, uh, pass the time. And we were kind of ch cutting our chops since we got the boat in March and the bass weren't, um, uh, popping at that point in time, at least not that I knew of Matt would probably find them. Um, but, uh, we, um, then as the water warmed up, we fished a lot at Palos Verdes and did, you know, we had hundred fish days there. Uh, and then up North at BKR, uh, we fished. And so we, we love the bass. We love fishing bass. And, uh, also at the break wall, there's a good bass bite there too, on occasion. So on the days where it was snotty outside, we just swing on in and fly line a bait or throw a, you know, a plastic at the wall. And we caught some, some big fish there. So you just, you kind of just brought it up, but are you fishing more live bait or are you kind of sticking with artificials or a little bit of both? It, a little bit of both, a little bit of both for, uh, for the rockfish, obviously we're just, you know, waiting two strips of squid and wait uh, for the, um, the winter bass. We've been doing uh, uh, some plastics um, at Rocky point. We were fishing, uh, some surface irons, it's a little tough with all the, uh, with all the weeds there, um, all the, uh, kelp there, uh, but mostly plastics, um, some tube baits, 
um, and some and some bait to get them going. Very cool. So it's probably probably 60, 40 uh, artificials versus bait. Okay. And, you know, I should probably, after your comment earlier about your son, I should probably be asking him this. But when you're going bass fishing at an MDR or wherever, um, you know, for, for those that, you know, are still trying to get into bass fishing or saltwater bass or whatnot, what kind of conditions are you typically looking for? Are you looking, you know, towards the top of the kelp or, or just kind of, to, to, be on, to be honest with you, Chris, I wish I could, I wish I could give you a, a better answer. The only condition that I care about is my ability to get, get away from work and get out there. I really, <laughs> I, I really, I don't care. I mean, if I have the opportunity to fish, I'm not going to not go because uh, the tide's going out or the tide's going in. I mean, we've had days where all, you know, all, all the people that are much more knowledgeable than I would say, oh, you're not going to have a good day. And we had a 40 fish day at, at, at PV. So to me, the only condition I care about is what my work schedule and what my boys' uh, baseball schedules allow. That's the only condition I care about. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems. Yeah, go ahead. No, you you need to get like a like a you know a, a Valerie or, or or Matt on here for that kind of stuff. That's way above <laughs> my pay grade. And I'm if I can fish, I'm going to fish, and I'll find something to pull on. You know, whether it be a butterlit perch or a. Uh, uh, I can't say yellowtail. I haven't caught a pelagic on my boat yet. Um, so we'll, we'll get there though. <laughs> yep. Yep. And they are for sure coming for sure. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's interesting whenever it seems like that question, there's multiple answers to, and everyone I talk to gives a different answer. So I was kind of curious to see what you look for, but I mean, it really doesn't matter for you know sometimes they you know guys swear oh you've got to go in an outgoing tide incoming tide um top of the kelp got to get in there or whatnot i think you know to pardon the pun but whatever floats your boat man <laughs> right right i mean i fish uh i fished a lot with uh with jeremy maltz at um marina del rey sport fishing he had a six pack that we were fishing on uh a lot during COVID. he basically enabled us to get out there this is before we had the boat and uh, we'd fish Rocky Point, and he said, oh, today's a good day. The kelp's laying down, so we could fish right on top of it. So um, he's an am amazing fisherman and a really, really good guy. Very cool. You had alluded to something earlier about, you know, fishing and uh, fishing in general is kind of like the icing on the cake to where really it's all about trying to get yourself and your two boys out on the water, spending time together. You know, I hear those stories more often than not, and it's a really good thing, not only for um, the whole industry, but also for, you know, just us human beings as well as a, as a species. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, that's that's to me is uh, uh, the gas is a lot, you know, gas costs a lot, but it's a lot less expensive than therapy. Um, so it's like if, if things get too rough, um, you know, on, on land. And uh, I don't have a very good profession for that because things can get pretty hairy. Uh, you know, if I, if I can get out on the boat just to take it out the harbor and go, you know, fish a stone a mile away from the harbor and get back, I feel like, you know, the slate's been cleaned and, and uh, I, I just, I'm just a whole different person. I just, uh, the therapeutic aspect of it, and I can't really articulate what it is, but you're so concerned about what's going on at the end of the you know, you just focus on the tip of the rod and what's going on in the field of a line and everything else is, everything else falls in place. But I don't think that the therapeutic aspect of fishing could be oh, 
um, overstated. Yeah. And with, um, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and buy a boat or whatnot. I mean, you could very easy, very easily accomplish that on the sport boats or wherever, even on the half day boat to where it's not that expensive, but still, you know, you go grab a friend or a, or a family member or a son or a daughter or whatever, go spend a couple hours with them. And, you know, it, it can make their week. It can make their month for that, for that matter. Yeah. There was a, a gentleman that posted, um, He's up in the Channel Islands, and I'm. Um, and he he went out he went out sand dab fishing, you know. And uh, somebody poo pooed it, saying, "Oh, sand dab, you know, you drop a six hundred hook ganyan and you bring them off." It's like you know what? The burgers taste the same, the scenery is the same. It, you, you know, you wake up at the crack of dawn the same. You drive with no traffic, which is even the, the rarest thing out here. So, it, fishing is fishing, you know. Whether you're catching a uh, a 10 inch spotted bay bass off the, you know, in, in your, uh, from the seawall at Long Beach or Marina del Rey or, or Mission Bay, or whether you're chasing bluefin or yellowtail or whatever, it's the same. It's the same, you know, the same relaxation. So, yeah. and, and I agree. I mean, some of the best days I've had, the most memorable days I've had are fishing in the surf, you know, just going out there knee deep or, or whatever and catching barred surf perch or the occasional uh uh corbina i mean it doesn't matter just soaking the line just kind of cures a lot of cures a lot of ailments yeah and you know with uh not to not to sour the subject but i know with with all this is upcoming issue i know you know i'm sure you're probably familiar with the carb issue and the sport boats and you know, the recreational fleet is not too far behind and the private boats aren't too far behind and all that. It would be a huge tragedy to lose everything because of something like that. And I'm sure you could probably agree with that one. Absolutely. And I, I, I've dealt with the carb issue. Actually, um, I represent a lot of transportation companies. Uh, so with them uh, retrofitting their, their trucks, it's been you know, it's been hard on that economy and then, and the, and ultimately the consumer faces it there because they're, they're going to pass that cost on. But with that happening to the sport fishing industry, if the boats aren't operating and they can't operate, they can't pass the cost along. They'll, they'll perish. And, uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing in the world that could happen is to make sport fishing just something for the elite, you know, those people that have boats and, and taking it away from, uh, the, the the lion's share of society that that can't afford gas or a boat or whatever uh, to be able to you know walk down to a dock jump on a boat for for fifty bucks and and leave all their troubles behind. So it, it truly would be a travesty if that uh, if some sort of accommodation wasn't made where you're balancing instead of you know balancing the interests of of, uh, of a clean environment with the need for people to make um, you know a living. And, and it can be done. They just have to spend, do the time and, and uh, give it the thought and attention that it deserves. But, uh, I, you know, I don't want to get political with you, but I think that the current proposal is, is uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And with, you know, I, I guess the key word to that, to, to what you just said, Greg, is, is access. We lose access, or I guess a big part of the population lose access to not only fishing, but also to the ocean as well in the form of, you know, sport fishing boats, the whale watching boats, the science trips, the kids trips, 
you name it, everything, you know, without those boats, it's, it's unaccomplishable. Yeah. And what you just said, Chris, I didn't, you know, envision getting like the hair up on my arms during this, uh, during our exchange, but I was thinking about that too, about how, you know, when you're out on your boat and you see dolphin, you don't realize that 99.9% of the United States never gets to see that in real life other than in an aquarium or something like that. And to, to deprive the, you know, the public of that opportunity would just be a shame. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right where, you know, whether you're going out fishing to Catalina, Clemente, whatever, you see a lot, you get to experience quite a bit, whether that's dolphin, whether that's whales out there or just fishing in general. I mean, it, uh, it it's truly a, a different world out there for sure. Yeah. Try to put a price on seeing the sunset from, uh, you know, mid channel, you know, from, from the ocean. It's just, you can't, you can't do that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, like I said, it's, it's a lot more than the fish. Right. Right. So speaking of Clemente, I got to ask, have you been out to the islands with your new boat and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not, not Clemente. That's a haul from Marina Del Rey. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I've braved uh, the channel, um, and gone to Catalina just once. Um, and I'm thinking about doing it again pretty shortly. I guess the Benita have been showing up on the on the uh, on the front side, um, which it's a little bit more accessible to me. But we did it and we did it. Uh, I was uh, expecting the worst and I came home and I, you know, we survived. Uh, we didn't catch the amount of fish that we wanted to, but that was before, you know, that was very, you know, relatively early in my comfort level with the boat. I kind of wanted to get out there. You know, it's like make, taking a long morning jog, running out there, touching a an object, and then coming back. Uh, <laughs> I should have spent a little bit more time there, but uh, my my level of confidence and uh, with myself, my abilities to to read the charts and to pilot the boat have have increased. So I'll be definitely doing that a lot uh, sooner rather than later. I didn't think I was going to get out there um, until maybe late spring or early summer, but uh, you know the um, the fish seems like it would support it and go there, pull on a couple of bonita and uh, maybe dock, get some good clam chowder and come home. Oh, that sounds like a great day, my friend. <laughs> yeah, any, well, any day, yeah. Any day on the ocean is a good day. Oh yeah. Well, not to put you on the spot, but with it being, we're barely into February now, any 2022 plans for you and your boys and your boat and all that stuff, any goals that you have in mind that you want to accomplish and fishing wise, at least. Oh, I mean, how much how much time do you have? I told you I only had till eleven thirty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we got to get a pelagic on there. The the yellowtail fishing at Catalina last year was was brutal to say the least. I don't know if that had anything to do with uh, with the bluefin being there and eviscerating everything that that swims. Uh, we've got to get a, a pelagic on the boat. Uh, I think we hooked one at Rocky Point um, uh, in August. But uh, it didn't want anything to do with us and knew where the kelp was. So number one goal is get a pelagic. Uh, biggest goal is to uh, um, have a running boat at the end of 2022, which I think will be a, not a, be a problem. Um, and just keep having fun and finding my own spots. You know, I don't I don't chase sporties. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's enough spots out there that actually that my the prior owner of the boat marked. Um, that uh, we go by, check them out, and usually they're holding fish. So I'm kind of using some of his old techniques, and we're finding some of our own. Uh, so just getting more comfortable with the boat, doing overnight, um, 
at Catalina, I don't have a sleeping berth, but I've got a blow up cushion that I can put on the front and cover us or dock it and go on land. Um, mm -hmm. So that's it with respect to the boat. That's cool, man. That's yeah. cool. And then the biggest, the biggest trip that we have planned is the one up to Alaska. Now that's just, uh, that's a graduation present for my, um, for my younger son. Oh, that's actually on my bucket list too, just to go up there. I've, I've actually never been, I've been to Alaska, but never been fishing up there. And it looks epic to say the least. It, it we went to uh, a lodge off the coast of Ketchikan for my older son's graduation. Um, and it was, you know, I've been to Hawaii probably 10 times. The beauty up there, I mean, Hawaii's touched. This Alaska area is not touched. It's untouched. And, you know, you see trees there with bald eagles like sparrows down here. You know, they're six, six bald eagles in a tree and orca 15 feet from the dock. It's like all this stuff, once again, that if you didn't have pictures, nobody believe you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I cannot wait. That, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Well, since um, I see it in the background and I've been trying to hold off as long as I possibly can being a baseball fan, I know baseball or baseball is a really big passion of yours, like fishing. Where did that come from? I started playing. Well, I played uh, all the way up until college. Okay. Uh, wasn't, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I could hit very well, but my speed was like you'd measure it with an egg timer instead of a stopwatch. <laughs> Uh, and I just, I'm just fascinated with the game. I love the game almost as much as fishing, almost as much. And, uh, I mean, I could tell you the first day I opened a pack of baseball cards. I can tell you the first day that I ever played August 9th, 1974 was the first day that I listened to a Dodger game and heard Vin Scully's voice. And uh, I just got hooked and I started off and I probably got hooked cause I was, I was good at it and I'd never played T-ball. Um, and, uh, just started playing it and, Loved it because I was able to do something with a great group of friends. It was something that I could go out and throw a tennis ball against my garage door and, and uh, still in touch with a lot of the guys that I played with uh, back at Northridge Park back in 1974 through 1980. And uh, yeah, I just, I just loved it. Played in high school all the way up to college, got some offers, decided I wanted to focus on, a, uh, on my career uh, because I didn't want to live the minor league lifestyle. Um, and uh, just love going. To, I love everything about it. I love how it tracks history. Um, I love how it brings people together and has brought people together. Uh, and I just love everything about the sport. All right. Here's here's the burning question. When is this lockout going to end, man? This I, is brutal. I, yeah, I know that they're seeking uh, federal intervention with a mediator to kind of get the parties uh, to the table. But it's, uh, you I know, once again, I... I I just kind of tune out with that. I just, it's so disappointing, and especially right now um, when we need that. I mean, as a society, we need to be able to go and, and, and get back together, you know, whether I'm not going to talk about masks or not masks, we need to get people back together and, and watching our nation's game. And uh, it's, it's hard to, to pick sides when, You've got a bunch of, you know, millionaires and billionaires sitting in a room together, uh, you know, complaining over whether the minimum salary is going to be $712,000 a year or uh, $650,000 a year. Um, it, it's just hard to really know what's what's driving. Well, you know what's driving it. It's money. That's that's uh, 
AJ Spal- Spalding in the late 1800s said that money would be the ultimate death of this game. And, uh, you know, it, this game is never going to die, I don't think, but this kind of, these kind of actions kind of push fans away um, like it did the last time we had a strike. Yeah. Yeah. And the last time I think was 94, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And I mean, the, the thing that sticks out to me being from San Diego, I'm a big Padre fan. Mm-hmm. You probably know Tony Gwynn, almost, almost to 400. That kind right. of ruined a shot. Yeah. And, uh, I, I have another room. I'm not in the room where you can see, but I've got a Gwynn signed Jersey up too. And oh, uh, not cool. one of not one of those fans that uh, if you don't like my team, I don't like you. I get along great with Giants fans as long as they're true baseball fans and not knuckleheads. You know, every every stadium's got their knuckleheads, uh, regardless of what sport. But uh, you know, he was just such a a class act and such a great ambassador for the game. Um, but uh, yeah, and it, and it and it took widespread steroid use to get fans back into the uh, to the game after '94. So. Yeah. And with, um, you know, with the emergence of all these young players and all that, like, you know, our own Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, a couple others, Soto, all these young, all these young players that are coming up now seem to actually pretty much sparking the interest back in baseball as of late, at least. Yeah. I mean, Tatis is, you know, my, my 17 year old, you should have him on next. He's a baseball savant. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he, I'm kind of old school. I still look at hits and batting average and home runs. And he tells me that I'm, you know, an old man and that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Uh, but Tatis, he says, you know, and he, he, we love watching him. Um, he's just the most exciting player in the game right now. Um, yeah. and that's coming from a player that roots for your division rival, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, they got to get out there. I mean, I was hoping to go to spring training this year since it's been so screwed up the last couple of years, but that's, that's not looking great right now. Uh, but uh, that's it. And, and that's another thing that me and my boys share is a passion for baseball is mm-hmm. uh, and my son, my younger boys in his senior year, Granada, and he's a phenomenal player. Uh, it was all, he was the MVP last year and all area, all city, all everything. And, and um, so it's a pleasure to watch, watch him play. And he also, uh, he's a better baseball player than I was, and he's a better fisherman than I am now. So it's, uh, it's good. <laughs> that, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last question before we get out of here. Okay. As a fellow national league West, uh, I guess, fan, what are your thoughts on the DH coming to the national league? You know, I'm, I have my initial reaction where you're going to say, yeah, you're just being old. Uh, which is, I'm a traditionalist. I love like the Jersey behind me is Eddie Matthews who played from 52 to 68, I believe. So I'm an old school guy. I I like pitchers batting, but you know what? I mean, it's, it's probably time to take that horse out back. Um, And, you know, because not, not necessarily because I think it should be done, but I think that it'll bring more fans to the game um, and make the games a little bit more exciting. And uh, I think having both leagues playing under the same set of rules is probably the best idea. So I think it's probably time for that to happen. Robot umpires, no, never, because mm-hmm. uh, you got to have somebody to hate on the field. That's just the nature of the theater. You know, you got to you've got to you've got to have a villain uh, other than Manny Machado. But um, 
you've got to have it's just part of the game it's blown calls are part of the game and you, you yeah. move on it's just like life you know life's not perfect it's how you deal with uh, adversity well that sounded pretty profound didn't it um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's just how you deal with that and how you overcome that and that's what's going to happen every step of of that you take during life or on the baseball field yeah, I couldn't really agree with you more, Greg. I think, um, you know, tr for me, I've always been against throwing the DH in the National League just to keep some kind of authentic authenticity with, you know, the old timers and all that. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I kind of get it. I understand why why it should come and, and why it would be beneficial for, for everyone to have a DH as opposed to having one, you know, no offense to pitchers out there, but having one lame duck bat in the whole lineup, right? Almost a certain out. I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you could count. It's like if I asked you to name five pitchers that you even think about hitting when they come to the plate, you'd probably be hard pressed. You know, there's pitchers that I like to watch hit, uh, like Rich Hill. I mean, that's just for the comedic relief. Um, <laughs> and, and Kershaw and Baumgartner could swing it. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of new rookies that that uh, you know the closer they get to their high school and college days when they were actually batting the, the better that they hit and then they get old like me and can't swing the bat anymore. Yeah, for sure. Well, Greg, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, one more time, how do we get a or get in touch with you and how do we follow Calico Conservation? How do we get some merch? Uh, the merch you, uh, is at www.calicoconservation.com. No funny spellings or anything. So calico, like calico bass, conservation, just how it sounds. Or you can uh, sign up and follow uh, Calico Conservation on Facebook. I don't think I'm on Instagram yet, but maybe I'll come into the, uh, the 21st century and start doing that. But Excellent. Uh, yeah, truly a pleasure, pleasure talking to you, Chris. Yeah, likewise, my friend. Likewise. Thank you so much again. Really appreciate being being here. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate the followship, all of the support for the podcast. Make sure to go on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Um, you can even watch episodes of the podcast on YouTube as well. Um, and also don't forget to visit our website, ccacalifornia.org. My name's Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will see you next week. Take care, everyone.